Good afternoon, my name is Dr. James Smith Jr. and welcome to another edition of the Dr. James Show. And we have a treat for you again today. I know, I know, I know, I always say each show, there's gonna be a treat, it's gonna be fantastic. Yeah, this is gonna be the same. Very meaningful, heartfelt show, I believe. We'll see. Time to bring out my co-host, SP Shannon Pet. Shannon, what's up? Are you ready for another flight? Um, I know every week I say I'm excited, um, and I was thinking about our, our guests today, and, you know, we are in the giving season, right? But our guest is somebody who doesn't just give in this season of giving. Yeah. She gives all year long. So I'm really excited to share that with our viewers today. Um, and as speaking of our viewers, thank you for joining us, those faithful followers, those of you who catch us later time and not even live and you follow our YouTube and all of our channels that you can catch us on those live today, please make sure you participate in our chat room, ask those questions to our guests. This is your chance to have one-on-one -on -one time, put in your comments and uh, you know what, share in this next hour with us. This is good. This is good. This is good. I'm ready. Are you ready? Always. All right, let's do this. Our guest is an innovator. She's a community builder and she's an occupational therapist. She's also the president, founder, creator of the Integrate for Good Foundation and Organization. Let's meet Bev Weinberg. Bev, great to have you. Great to have you. Great to see you. Oh, thank you, Dr. James. It's wonderful to be here. I appreciate the invitation. How far did you have to travel? <laughs> uh, just down the hall in our global headquarters, which is my home. <laughs> All right. I want to dive right in because you, gosh, you're doing so much. Shannon laid the foundation by saying, this isn't a season for you. This is a way of life. And by doing some quick research, I see that after you left Pitt, you and I have one a number of things in common, but we're both two-time Temple grads, your master's, your doctorate, you did corporate, and then you decided to start this organization. Can you fill in the blanks? How did you get here? <laughs> fill in the blanks. I love that. Uh, yeah, so I have been an occupational therapist for 25 years, um, actually about 28 years now, um, about 25 of those years I spent as a school-based occupational therapist working with um, children in early intervention, which is our birth to three-year-olds, our little guys, um, and then kind of made my way up the lifespan. Um, so I started working in school districts in the greater Philadelphia area, and I saw a lot of untapped talent, I call it. I saw the need for students with disabilities to see themselves and, and really for the larger community to see people of diverse abilities, people with neurodiversity, people who live with autism, with Down syndrome, with mental health challenges, not only as recipients of service, but as providers of service to other people. I saw it really can you as- say that again? Not only you know, recipients of service. Yeah, so a lot of people, um, you know, see people with disabilities as, you know, the recipients of their tax dollars, the recipients of support, um, the recipients of, you know, support from people, from um, organizations. They don't always see people with disabilities as leaders, 
Um, they don't see them as the experts they are in their own lived experience. They don't always see what they can contribute to the bottom line of corporations. Mm. So I had this idea for Integrate for Good in my mind, and I tried to do it while I was working in school districts. And I realized that at that point, I was probably a seed that needed to go into different soil to grow this idea. And that's when I entered the nonprofit space. Um, I worked for about four years for a large organization called Access Services, and I'm so grateful um, to their visionary CEO, Rob Reed, who took me under his wing um, and let me submit a federal grant proposal to do this work under their nonprofit umbrella. I was there about 18 months, and by that point, we grew big enough where we could really exist on our own. So in January of 19, I incorporated Integrate for Good as our own 501c3 nonprofit organization. So we're coming up on uh, starting year three. That's awesome. And I, I love your, your statement, a seed that needed different soil. It reminded me back when I was in corporate and I said, I want to do this on my own. So I guess I too was a seed looking for a different soil to do what I do, what you do best. How would you describe Integrate for Good? How would you describe it? Yeah, so Integrate for Good really came out of my doctoral research at Temple, you know, going back to what you just mentioned. My research was in social capital. And for those who aren't familiar with that concept, social capital is really the value that we get from our connections with other people. And in my work with people with disabilities of all ages, I saw something that was repeated as a trend over and over. And the people that I was empowering typically were surrounded by either family members or people who were paid to be with them. Mm -hmm. They were lacking those next layers of circles that a lot of us might take for granted that we have. You know, I'm a proud Rotarian. So I have people all over the world that, you know, share my passion for service. Um, maybe someone's involved with a faith community, maybe someone's involved for students in an after-school sport or an after-school club. We don't always see our students with disabilities represented there. So I started to realize that, you know what, this was important for me to delve into. Um, I love research. I'm a self-proclaimed research nerd. Um, I own that. Um, everything that Integrate for Good does is grounded in research. Um, that's where we feel breast practice comes from. So I started looking at social capital and the connections that people with disabilities have or don't have. And in my research, my own research, working with families and in the research you know, that I uncovered in doing the literature review, I realized that people with disabilities don't have the same opportunities to connect. And we think about what we gain from those connections. You know, People have told me, hey, I heard about a job that you'd be great for because I had those connections. Hey, there's a great movie that came out. You know, did you hear about it? There is something going on in the, in the neighborhood, in the community. And all that information we get from our network, we wanna make sure people with disabilities have the same access to opportunity as anyone else. That's good. I'm gonna show the audience a, a clip of one of the videos that we'll be sharing today. It speaks to what you do, and it also speaks to the volunteer work that you guys get involved with. So let's let's take a look at the clip. A lot of people ask me why there is a need for Integrate for Good in our community. We have a lot of nonprofit organizations in Montgomery County. I feel there is a specific need for Integrate for Good to capture the untapped talent of people of all abilities. 
So we believe that we can use volunteerism as a tool for pulling people together, giving them an exciting reason to come join us, and not only interact and volunteer with the people they came with, whether that might be their own family member or a friend or somebody from a day program they attend, but they're meeting other people who they share common connection with. So even though we're making the sleeping mat, you'll hear people talking about their favorite movies or their favorite sports teams and realizing that while we all on the outside look different from each other, we actually have more in common than we often think. Mm, awesome. While, while we have so much difference, there are a lot of commonalities and similarities. Awesome. Awesome. Beth, where do the volunteers come from? And if folks who are watching today want to volunteer, how, how could they get involved? Yeah, so Integrate for Good has made a 100% pivot in how we operate, like many, many businesses have. Um, so we have really three parts of our model. So the first is empowerment, and that's something we're still able to do virtually uh, with our school districts. Um, we have one leg in the school district world, one leg in the adult world, because I was realizing that when a lot of my students graduated, it was, there, was not, there wasn't a bridge. And I wanted to help be that bridge um, for families and for individuals. So we work with school districts um, to help develop digital portfolios, which I'll talk about um, later when we talk about employment. That middle area, which is really, you know, that inclusive volunteerism was our wheelhouse pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. And we were volunteering. Now we don't have brick and mortar. Our nonprofit, you know, when people say, oh, I wanna come to your office, our mailing address is a post office box that's literally like, three by three. <laughs> so I, you know, when people say, I'll meet you at your office, I'm like, I don't think we can fit. <laughs> um, so where we were was anywhere in the community that would welcome us. What we didn't want to create were separate but equal places where people with disabilities would come to volunteer in isolation. That's not what we're about because that's not where you build those community connections that we talked about are so important in the research to mental, physical health, employment outcomes, housing outcomes, all the things that social capital leads to. So we were um, on college and university campuses. Um, that was something I went after with a lot of passion because being a two-time Temple grad, a Pitt grad, I've done work at other colleges and universities. I love colleges and universities. I love the richness of opportunity they offer. I love being on campus. And for many people with disabilities, those are doors that have never been opened for them. And I support people that have a variety of disabilities and many of them might not have the goal of taking a class for credit or even for audit, but they deserve to be there and have those other opportunities. So on certain days of the week, for example, Mondays, we were always at our Sinus College in Collegeville, yes. leading the virtual sleeping mat project actually that you saw in that video clip. We were um, in libraries, in senior centers, in faith communities. Every Friday, we were at the Elmwood Park Zoo in Norristown, doing our volunteering right there with the animals. <laughs> um, we were everywhere where people, make connections. And then that happened up until March 12th. <laughs> and it, within 48 hours, um, all of that stopped for us. So I, you know, I was sitting there thinking, oh, like none of us really had the time to prepare for those changes. And I said, well, you know, we're looking at three choices here. You know, we can shut down. And for me, that just was not, <laughs> that just went out of my head before it even went in, not an option. The second was really, you know, 
to kind of wait it out to say like, hey, let's put things on hold. And I feel like the needs of people with disabilities have been put on hold long enough. Like this work, in my opinion, should have been done yesterday. So that option. So number three was, we're going to figure this out. <laughs> um, yeah. And we, I, I say, we learned to fly the plane in the air <laughs> without the manual, without yeah. the pilot's license. But we're like, if we wait till we know everything we need to know to make this work happen, it's not going to happen in time. So we're going to go and we're going to learn as we go. So we decided to, to pivot everything to a virtual format. Um, March 12th, I learned what the word Zoom was. I didn't know about <laughs> Zoom before then. Yeah, <laughs> I'd never used yeah. the virtual platform. Yeah, hold on one sec. Let's, let's, let's keep going. Bev, you said you had three choices. Yes. Three choices. One was to abandon ship. Right. And this was still in the infancy stage of your organization. What were two and what were three again? Two and three? Yeah, so two was to wait it out, you know, to put things on hold. And then three, which is where we went, um, we said, we're going to do this in the virtual space. We're going to figure it out. You know, we're going to engage our partners. And for us, our core value, I would say, if I have to rank them, which is really hard, number one is probably collaboration. Mm -hmm. And we reached out to our partners and we're like, let's figure this out together. Um, we ended up creating a kindness because what everyone was feeling, everything's canceled. You know, it's so disappointing. You know, in the beginning, it was, you know, the graduations and, you know, the going off to college. And then this kind of went on longer than any of us had predicted. So we created a kindness isn't canceled campaign with 14 different volunteer activities, all virtual, offered morning, afternoon and evening, seven days a week. Wow. Because we wanted to meet people where they were. We knew some people were working multiple jobs and maybe needed weekend time to volunteer. Some people mornings were better. They were working nights. We didn't know. Um, so we started to engage people in the virtual space and say, you know what? It's not ideal. It's not our favorite way to build connection, but it's better than nothing. Um, so we did an eight-week pilot and we're going to be starting, uh, based on everything we learned from that pilot, we're going to be launching a um, new virtual volunteering schedule in January. That's awesome. That's awesome. I believe many of us, if not all of us, have a pivot story. Those who, those of us who have pivoted, I'm sure we have a story because it caught us off guard. Yes. Uh, Shannon, what's happening in the chat room? Any questions? Do you have a question or what, what's happening in the chat room? Well, I have a comment from one of our viewers and then I do have a question. Um, I found it difficult finding network for my son. Best Buddies has been good, but with COVID, all of those opportunities you mentioned have become harder, um, was one of the comments from the chat room. Um, but let me ask you this, Beth, Bev, you know, do you think you could share with our viewers or do you, can you identify the moment that you realized this was a calling and not just a job for you anymore? It depends how far you want to go back. <laughs> um, you know, when if I take it way back, um, I feel like going back to that seed analogy, the seed that was planted happened when I was five years old, believe it or not, many years ago, many, many. <laughs> um, and I wore metal braces on my legs. I had hip issue and I had to wear these clunky metal braces, which thank goodness they don't submit, they don't subject kids to wearing anymore. Um, but at the time, you know, medical technology wasn't, wasn't where it was, where it is now. And um, I hated Mondays, hated Mondays. And it wasn't because school started because I love school. I love school then. I love school now. It was because it was gym day. Mm. And what our gym teacher would do, and if people can think of the half court painted line on a gym yep. floor, yep. 
that painted line, line the kids up and the gym teacher would pick two captains. And I was never a captain. Like that surely was never going to happen. And those two kids would step forward and then they would say, you know, okay, you know, James, you're on my team. Shannon, you're on my team. And I would always be the last one standing. Mm. And then one of two things would happen. Usually, you know, usually the teacher would say, either a kid would say, okay, fine, we'll take her if we have to. Or the teacher would say, you know what, on second thought, this game isn't really that safe for you. So why don't you go sit up on the stage? Because our gym and our auditorium were like one big room at most schools. They have that. And I would sit up there. And I remember, even as a little girl, feeling like invisible because everyone just started playing and having fun without me. But I also felt really visible in terms of being like, oh my gosh, I'm so obvious with these metal braces sitting on the edge of the stage with my braces hanging down. Everyone must be staring at me. And nobody was because they were playing and having fun. And, you know, I don't know how much that influenced me, but it's one of the earliest memories I have as a little girl. And I went on to actually get a degree in city planning from Pitt. And I think what I wanted to do in my mind was to build inclusive communities. Yeah. But city planning wasn't the way to do that. And I didn't realize it. And I paid off that degree for 10 years <laughs> and then found occupational therapy and I don't regret the city planning because it influenced my macro level thinking, Um, but then found occupational therapy. So the moment I think, you know, there's the five-year-old moment and then the more recent moment, I was sitting at a meeting, it's called an individual educational plan meeting for students. Students with disabilities is kind of like, okay, you know, what are the supports you need to be successful? And I was looking across the table at this 20 year old student and it was everything that he was gonna receive, receive, receive. And I thought there's nothing built into this plan for him to be elevated as a leader. You know, no one's asking him what he wants to be when he grows up. Everyone is planning for him. And it reminded me of how I felt standing on that line. Someone else is deciding if I get to be in the game and how I get to play it. And he didn't have any of that kind of control over his own life trajectory, you know? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, this isn't okay. Like someone should do something about this. And I looked and looked and looked to see who was doing something about it and, and creating something like Integrate for Good, and I couldn't find it. So that was the moment where one day I just looked in the mirror after that meeting that night. I'm like, here we go. This needs to happen. And I guess it's me. <laughs> I love it. And I love that you answered the call. I love it. That's good. Thanks, Janet. To see if we can take a look sure. at your March 12th. March 12th, I was leaving a Chamber of Commerce meeting when my phone rang. It was our older daughter, Brooke, and she said, Mom, people are talking about some kind of crazy virus and school might be canceled. I told her that must be a crazy rumor that someone started on social media and to get back to class. But by the time I got to my car in the parking lot, Governor Wolf was on the radio. We never could have imagined that the vibrant, inclusive, in-person communities we were building on college campuses, at libraries and senior centers, within corporations like Dow and Nationwide, and even at the Elmwood Park Zoo, would be instantly canceled, all within 48 hours. I drove around in a fog collecting everything we had sacrificed so much to build our first year. 
We canceled our annual fundraising gala in April, and I couldn't imagine how we would survive. On one of many sleepless nights, I figured we had three choices. First, we could shut down. Second, we could greatly reduce our services, placing children and adults with disabilities on waiting lists. Or third, we could decide that we were going to stay whole and strong and take on the pandemic with the same passion and grit that we used to turn Integrate for Good from an idea on paper to a living, breathing force for good in our community. And for us, there was no choice. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Beth, what, did, what have you learned from that experience, from that pivot that will play a role in your continued journey with Integrate for Good? I would say, you know, commit yourself to being a lifelong learner. Um, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Mm. Um, surround yourself with good, you know, figure out who's in your inner circle, who needs to be there, um, who has the experience and the expertise that you need. You know, you don't need to start reinventing wheels during a pandemic. <laughs> um, you need to reinvent, you know, decide how you're going to move forward and what your wheels are going to be. But I think that's where, you know, instead of pulling in, I just reached out more and I figured out, you know, what chambers of commerce do I need to be involved in? You know, that's where Rotary came in. Um, I thought, who, who can I surround myself with that's going to inspire me, that's going to think positively? Because we all have those sleepless nights I talked about where you think, oh, my gosh, how am I going to make my business continue? How am I going to continue to serve the people that deserve these empowerment opportunities? Um, but so I would say that's what I learned the most was that I had people I could call when I started to doubt myself or I started to doubt if I had, you know, the strength or if we had the resources, you know, this was our terrible two year. We're only a two year old organization. So terrible two years for a business aren't good on a, in a good year <laughs> during a pandemic year, not even a big help. So, um, and also like, you have to believe in your own strength and you have to have faith for, you know, I don't say you have to, I mean, for me, that's what worked, yeah. um, you know, having that faith and living and breathing your mission. And when you have that passion for it, that passion kind of takes care of everything else. Well, every interaction that we've had, the passion has been there. And I, I you know, I was on the website, all it's awesome. A lot of passion in that website as well. There are a few stories on there. It's it's the uh, the Joey story, the Sam story, the Carly and Rachel stories. What do those stories represent? You want to give the audience a, a snapshot of what they represent, or in fact, even tell them one of those stories. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're not one of those nonprofits that can say we fed you know five million people this month, or we brought clean water to ten countries. We are a micro, like the work that we do is with macro level thinking about the change we want in our society to be more inclusive of people of all abilities, but we do it on a very micro level because we believe that's how change happens. It happens one person at a time, one relationship at a time. So um, I actually like I want to choose- I like the fact that you say people of all abilities. So it's not disabilities or special needs. It's people of all abilities. Yes. And like the website, you know, you refer to my web designer and my IT guy, the, doc, the guy that, you know, has kept my computer from getting thrown out the window um, is a young man 
Um, Nick is might be 21 now. I think he had a birthday. Um, and he lives with autism and muscular dystrophy. He lives with social anxiety and dyslexia, among other things. Um, and he's just starting to be open about that and owning the ability and the unique ability and perspective that comes with that. Um, those video clips that you saw, um, that's Nick's work. He's a videographer. He's a photographer. And my website was designed that. by him. Um, so the stories matter because um, that's where we see the magic happen. Um, you know, a real quick story. I'll tell you about Bob. And Bob was someone who volunteered with us every week at the Indian Valley Library. And pre-COVID, we can't wait to get back there. We'd have about 40 or 50 volunteers every Thursday. And Bob just over the course of a year coming every week was able to slowly and carefully learn and master all the steps of how to turn plastic bags that people would just not know what to do with in their houses, right? Into sleeping mats um, that are now more important than ever because our, our homelessness is um, really uh, those mats, we can't make them fast enough. There's such a need in our community. So Bob learned how to make these mats. And I got a call from uh, Northwestern Mutual. And they said, will you come out and lead our employees in corporate engagement wow. with your neurodiverse team? And I said, absolutely. Um, oh, and sorry, there's a, a no, that'll stop in a second. Um, so, you know, we go into Northwestern Mutual and Bob says, you know, the guys start talking about where they went to college. And one financial planner said, you know, I went to Northwestern Mutual. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm at Northwestern Mutual. I went to Ursinus College. Yes. And Bob just lit up and he said, you know, he said, I teach there. Oh, and Bob has a very noticeable intellectual disability. Bob's probably in his 50s. So when Bob went to school, he didn't have the right to public education. Um, and he said, I teach there. And the look on this guy's face was, yeah. you teach at the college? You know, and I said, Bob, tell them what we call you. He said, Professor Bob. Mm. And I said, yes, Bob teaches this civic engagement project on campus every single week. Um, and then Bob went on to go to Nationwide with us. Um, and lead corporate engagement, you know, I step back and those neurodiverse leaders take their place as experts in civic engagement, in corporate engagement. Um, and you see people's wiring start to change. People we support, some of them are nonverbal and they teach through demonstration and that people start to appreciate the different ways they communicate. And yeah. that's how we start to change the mindset. That's beautiful. Uh, before or in another life, Shannon was a culture engagement whisperer. Shannon, what do you think of that particular idea with Bob? I love that. I, I absolutely love it. And especially coming from lots of team building, you're always looking for something new and fresh and something that will make an impact. I think I think that's amazing. And you answered, Bev, a question I was going to ask you because I was going to ask if you could, um, how you could share with us to let people see the person and not the disability. And how do you successfully do that? Because I feel like people, people are very visual um, and we're very judgmental. Um, and, you know, that must be a challenge in what you do is really having them see the person and not the disability. Yes. Um, and actually, when we have conversations around race, this comes up in a similar way. That's very interesting because we don't ignore the disability. You know, the disability is there. Right. You know, it would be like if someone said to me, like, oh, I don't notice that you're a woman. Yeah. I'm like, well, I am. And I'm proud of that. Like, you know, um, 
we will speak about things. I'll have people, you know, who are on my team, you know, that have lived experience with disabilities speak. You know, we do, you know, university guest lectures and corporate engagement events, things like that. And, you know, people will come up to them and say, you know, I don't see your disability. I see you as a person. And, you know, sometimes that individual will say like, well, I want you to see my disability. Because of my autism, I have incredible attention to detail. I have a passion for technology, not in spite of my disability, but because of my disability, it adds value to who I am and gives me a unique perspective and skill set. Um, so we don't say, you know, we don't see color, we don't see disability, we don't see gender. We see it, we value it, we value that diversity. But then we say, don't stop there. Mm. You know, don't look at someone and say, oh, okay, this woman has Down syndrome. You know, oh, but then the next step should be like, hmm, I wonder how she would be in this position I have open in my company. You know, like, oh, I, you know, I want, so that's where we encourage that next step. Um, we did that at a company called AD Distributors um, out of Malvern. And it, you know, when you're, when you're a startup, when you're an entrepreneur, you say yes, and you figure out how you're gonna do things later. <laughs> so I've been doing corporate events for 12 to 15 people at a time. And they called and said, will you do corporate engagement with 150? I'm like, we would love to, let's get that on the calendar. I hung up the phone. I'm like, oh goodness, what did I just commit to? <laughs> I'm like 150 people. Right. I get on the phone with our volunteer woodworker. I'm like, we need more looms for weaving the mats. We're bringing in these other volunteer projects. Um, and one of the gentlemen I had with me that day, Muad, he lives with autism and he's passionate, passionate about Mr. Rogers. And unfortunately, everyone is always telling him, well, Muad, it's not time to talk about Mr. Rogers now. You know, off topic, that's off topic. People with autism spend a lot of their time with someone in their ear saying like, focus, we're not talking about what you're passionate about. Um, and I, I equate that with if someone said to me, you have to spend a day not talking about integrate for good. Mm -hmm. I would exhibit what some people call challenging behaviors because that's what drives me. You know, that's what I was put here to do. So his staff person said, well, no, Moad, we're in a corporate environment. We're not talking about Mr. Rogers right now. And I took them aside and I said, look, let's let Moad be Moad. Let's just see what happens. I'll take complete responsibility for it. He had these 150 people singing, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> and the Mr. Rogers movie, the documentary had just come out. So like people were talking about it. Usually Moa is the only one talking about Mr. Rogers, but in this case, it was like actually something like in culture that people were talking about. The CEO of this global company came up to me afterwards and he said, if we had someone like Moad on staff here, our corporate culture would be much different for the better. Yeah. And I could have gone in there and done a lecture on why diversity matters and why you need to hire people with disabilities. I didn't have to change his mind. He changed his mind himself because of what we allowed him to experience on his own. And that's the angle that we take. We're like, let's come into, you know, Dow is a wonderful company we would love to work with. We're like, where are your corporate social responsibility values? What do you prioritize? How can we help you? And by the way, we're bringing in a neurodiverse team to do this work with you. And that's where the employees, the decision makers, the HR department, the hiring people get to have those wheels turn and say, you know what? They're here. They're in our space. We see, you know, it's not scary anymore. It's not an unknown. We can imagine this. We can see what it would be like to include people who have sometimes profound disabilities yeah. in corporate America and organizations. And ultimately, Dr. James, see in that person and not the disability. Shannon. 
Shannon, I think there's another quote, a comment in the chat room or a question about location. I thought I saw that pop up. Yep. We, well, we have folks saying, you know what? I admire you following your dream and filling a need. Um, are there similar programs in Kansas or Missouri is a question. And, um, you know, and, and so I would ask you, do you know if there's any similar programs to what you're doing? In those areas? Funny that Kansas is the state that gave a shout out because yes, Kansas, I can say undoubtedly yes. Missouri, I'm not so sure about. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, but out of the University of Kansas um, are some of my greatest mentors, actually. And out of University of Kansas, they developed something you can research and look up. It's called the Life Course Framework. Ooh. A lot of research went into it. And what it is, it's figuring out where does this individual, you know, with, with input from their family, from all the people they care about, where, how do they imagine, what would a good life look like for them? An enviable life, a life other people would want, not sitting on the sofa playing video games all day. You know, that's not a life, that might be the life a young guy with autism loves, <laughs> but in terms of being able to support himself, eventually move out of the house, you know, do those kinds of things. We might look at what are some other things we can put in that plan while building in your love of video games. Um, so the life course tools help you figure out, you know, what do you not want to see happen and how do you avoid it and what trajectory do you want to be on and what are the supports that you need? What are the things you need to be doing along the life of that child until they get to be, you know, an adult and then afterwards, it, the tools really help you build a life by, it, it just encourages you to think of all different things. They're super user-friendly. Um, and if you look up life course tools um, out of University of Kansas, you'll find it. And I'm so thrilled it came to other states, um, but it started in Kansas. So yay, University of Kansas. Shout out to Kansas. Thank Shout out to Kansas. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. Bev, when I knew you were coming on, I, I, I felt, as people would say, a certain type of way because, because of what you do, because of your mission, and because both my sons are on the spectrum. I live with this opportunity that you help others with. It, it's, it's not just conjecture or hyperbole or, or what if, I really know what that's like. And there's a quote on your website that uh, I wanna read right now and I'd like for you to speak to it, but it really resonated with me. It was, it's not what we dream. It's not what we hope to see. It's what we strive to create through our collaborative work every day. So it's not what we dream, it's not what we hope, is what we hope, is what we strive for every single day. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I actually thought you were gonna go somewhere else with the quote. Oh, I wasn't ready for that too. one. I, I haven't actually, you know, I forgot, not that I forgot that was there, <laughs> um, but I haven't thought about that one for a while, but it's true and I think it goes back to, you know, I was looking for other opportunities to connect the students and families with that I was supporting as an occupational therapist and I didn't find it. And I, I feel, and I, I have the reputation as being kind of a good troublemaker in the kind field of, of the disability field in Pennsylvania. Troublemaker. <laughs> a good troublemaker because I push limits. And I say, you know, the opportunities that are available are, are perfect for some people but they're not a match for everybody. 
Um, and in Pennsylvania, I can't speak for other states, but in Pennsylvania, we have significant waiting lists for services, thousands and thousands of people on waiting lists for services. And, you know, I thought, well, I can just wait till this system changes. Yeah. Or I felt like there was, a, you know, a, a big reliance on government funding, um, which the government funding matters. And it's so important. And I lobby for that. But I realized it takes a larger village and to provide the unique and innovative opportunities that we want to see that aren't maybe traditionally available in, in an older system. I said, let's bring in the corporate support and not just that, you know, writing a grant, having our handout, you know, make a donation, but saying, just like we don't want you to see someone with a disability as solely the recipient of service, we don't want you to see our nonprofit as just asking and not giving. Yeah. So we said, how can we help you with your diversity, you know, equity, inclusion initiatives? How can we help you with engaging your teams now in the virtual space? How are you keeping your remote teams tight? Can we help you with that? And then the company's giving a fee for service then supports our work so we can turn around and make six digital portfolios for students with disabilities. Um, so it's our way of bringing in some corporate money into the space by letting people know that we actually don't bill the government for what we do. Um, traditional disability organizations will build, will build, you know, organizations like Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, Office of Developmental Programs. We don't do that. Um, we feel like those systems are very taxed. So we try to bring in additional funding um, from individuals who care about our work, from companies that we can support and they can in turn support us. Um, from other private foundations. Um, so we feel like it takes a village and beyond to make sure that our village is inclusive. And we like to bring the other team members in to be part of it. That's good, that's good. Bev, you just said you push limits. You're a good <laughs> troublemaker. Yeah. But for those of us who heard that, but can't conceptualize what that looks, looks like, uh, how, how do you push limits? How do you advocate for, for it? What does that look like, pushing limits? Yeah, so sometimes it's getting involved at the state level. You know, I love to speak at our statewide conferences. Um, for some reason, they, kept, they keep accepting my proposals. They haven't muzzled me yet, so I appreciate that. Um, but sometimes when you recommend change, people get defensive yes. because they think, are you saying our system isn't good enough? You know, is it, we're working really hard to provide what we provide and, you know, and I think if you can have an open mind and to say, you know what, what we have is great and what we have helps a lot of people, but we can do better. Mm. You know, there's always innovation in technology and innovation in some of these other arenas. And all I'm saying is let's be creative. Let's bring more innovation into the disability space, into the disability employment space, the disability volunteer space. Um, and just think of things we haven't done. It doesn't mean that, that historically wonderful things haven't happened. It's that we're acknowledging that we have areas of growth. We have areas where we can come together in collaboration um, and kind of get people out of the silos they like to live in. And we've done wonderful things just by finding the right partners, the right strategic partners and collaborators. Um, so that's where, you know, I just, I sometimes will say, you know, the way we've been doing things was great then, yeah. But let's think of what else we can offer in terms of really my focus with that is getting more people with disabilities competitively employed. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Bev, we have a segment on the show called The Hot Seat. 
and it's time for the hot seat. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and with the hot seat, I'm going to share a word with you. Once you share, once you hear the word, provide a comment in one word. And we're going to do a series of these and let's see how hot the seat gets. But what comes to mind when you hear that particular word, you give me one word answer and then I give you a few more. Are you ready? Yes. Buckle up. First word, commitment. Sustainability. Support. Empowerment. Difference. Diversity. Giving. Generosity. How about this one? Um, impossible. Possible. <laughs> we're here, we're here, we're here. Uh, next level. Growth mindset. That might be two words. <laughs> Autism. Mm, that's a good one for me. Um, genius. Bev. Passion. <laughs> You're off my hot seat. <laughs> good job. Good job. Shannon, another hot seat survivor. <laughs> I like that game. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Quick question for you. Um, in regards to autism, um, what support, if any, do you offer the caregivers? Yes, that's huge. Um, and, you know, traditionally, you know, going back decades and even not, not that many decades ago, people that had a child with a disability were told, you know, this child needs to live in an institution and we're the experts. We know what to do. And it's best if you don't contact them again. And that was something historically, you know, in the days of, you know, some people might hear a Penhurst. Um, we have different institutions, you know, across the country and in our area where, you know, parents said, you know, this is what my doc my pediatrician, my doctor, somebody from the county or the state told me to do. And we believe and some of the, the processes that we use to empower people have the family front and center. Because next to the person who lives with a disability, the next level expert is that family member. And it might be a parent, it might be a sibling. We do a lot of work with siblings. Um, and when we do our interviews, in fact, we have two interviews scheduled with sisters today for a young man with autism we support because we wanna see the strengths that they see in their brother. We want that perspective, um, you know, already met with the parents, but we're like, let's not forget that whole family unit. So we believe, you know, families are so important. We also do something really interesting where we facilitate conversations with families and individuals together and then separate and back together because sometimes there are differences in what an individual might want for their best life and where the parents see that person. Um, so actually in our temple doctoral research, that's where some of my interviews came in. One young woman with Down syndrome, when we were together, the mom said, you know, oh, I see her as, you know, being really great at customer service. I think she'd be, and I'm like, oh, absolutely. Then I met with this young woman by herself. She goes, I haven't had a chance to tell my mom yet, but what I really want to be is a bartender. <laughs> and I think she'd make an amazing bartender. <laughs> I actually do. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's come back together. And the mom's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea you were thinking that. Like, let's talk about that. And, um, 
But yeah, I mean, family is, is everything to so many people we support. And we also offer caregiver support groups. Caring for the caregiver is huge, especially now with virtual learning. You know, for me, I have 13 and 15 year old daughters and I can say, oh, it's 7.50, get on Zoom, you know, see you at 2.30. For so many of the other families we support, that's not their reality. Um, And now they are educating their children. They're being the therapist. They're providing that one-on-one support. Um, And what families with children with disabilities are going through during the pandemic, we want to provide all the support that we can um, to make sure that they know they're not forgotten. Good. That's good. Huge, huge. Any other comment in the chat room? Any anything else? I just want to know for me personally, and I think Dr. James and those watching, what gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> I have to say, you know, I I don't consider this work. I consider it a privilege to follow my passion. Um what gets me out of bed, I mean, every day there's something exciting on the calendar for me. I feel like it might be an interview with somebody um, to get to know, you know, what they want for their future. It might be, you know, a meeting with a school district to bring a new school district into our work so that we can make these digital portfolios. I think what gets me out of bed in the morning is the idea that people who have up until this time been discounted, um, had their intelligence underestimated. that I have the opportunity through our work and through our, the partners that we collaborate with to help those abilities come to light. Um, and to me, that's really, really exciting because they're there. It's just that someone needs to shine a light on them. Yes. That's good, that's good. Thank you, Shannon, thank you. Uh, Bev, another one of the quotes that's on the website, this might be the one you were looking <laughs> for by Maya Angelou, where she says, you can't go through life with the catcher's mitt on both hands, you need to be able to throw something back. Yeah, talk to us about why that particular quote made the website and, and, and what's the story it's really trying to convey? Yeah, that that was the quote I was thinking of before. When I read that, I was like, yes, you know, like, I was like, amen, Maya, like, yes, that's, um, because that's exactly what I was seeing is people, I'm like, because she gave that imagery to a problem that I saw, like, it was hard for me to define it, to describe it. And she did it in her, of course, like beautiful, amazing way of, I'm like, yeah, these kids are sitting there with a catcher's mitt on both hands. And, you know, I would sit in meetings and, okay, what does this child need? You know? physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, behavioral support, nursing, curb to curb transportation, this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, so that's what they're receiving. Where is the clear channel for them to be able to give something back? Um, And then, you know, when people would talk about, well, let's talk about their strengths and their needs. Strengths would be things like, they're a pleasure to be around. Um, They're nice. (laughs) You know, like nothing substantial um, that really identified like what makes them unique, what makes them amazing. Um, But then when it was time to talk about needs, it was, oh, their handwriting is horrible. They can't tie their shoes, the communication, the behavior, the on and on and on and on. And I just saw a lot of strengths being ignored. Um, So that's, that's really, I think, my driver in trying to figure out, you know, how do we capture that? 
Um, and how do we give people a fair chance, an equitable chance to be seen for who they are and what they can contribute and what they can throw back? Because right. I felt like the receiving part, you know, we have our waiting list, we have limited funding, that's not going to ever change, I don't think. Um, so the receiving, we understand, but that giving back needs to have the same mechanisms in place, the same intentionality to make sure that those opportunities are just as rich. Wow, that's good. That's good. Thank you. But we talked a little bit about the pandemic and the impact it had on your organization. I know a lot of parents would echo that being in the house all day for nine months with my family and children is wonderful. <laughs> do you think or have you seen or have you heard parents with children on the spectrum or other uh, needs what has life the homeschooling life been like for them and what advice what support would you recommend because I'm, I'm thinking most parents would say this homeschooling this homeschooling and working at the same time is it's pretty cumbersome. Well, add the additional level of opportunity. So how has the pandemic, in your opinion, impacted those situations and, and what recommendations would you have or offer? I think the impact is extremely significant. You know, I've had parents that have had to quit working um, to provide the education, you know, to meet the educational needs of their children because when they're in school, they have, you know, someone supporting them, sometimes a one-on-one -on -one dedicated teacher, you know, working with them in addition to a classroom teacher. They have therapists surrounding them. You know, all of that disappeared. So there's an economic impact for sure. There are families that are seeking out out-of-pocket therapy to compensate for the therapy they're not able to get, you know, because their children aren't faced. There's, um, you know, a lot of teletherapy going on, which is very effective. It's not the same. I talked to my friends who are physical therapists and they're like, I have a three-year-old on zoom trying to engage them with this, you know, like it's the therapy, you know, all of these frontline workers working with the children are, you know, struggling too, but for the families, um, the lot, the loss of income, the loss of being able to attend to work and having or choosing to focus on providing the support their children need, or sometimes there's really no choice. There's no one else to do it. Um, we brought parents together. We believe that peer-to-peer -peer support is mm -hmm. huge. You know, I can say, well, what I learned in school is you should be doing X, Y, and Z and having some strict routines at home. And, you know, the laugh in my face and they should because, you know, kind of all bets are off. And, you know, sometimes a student will wake up and it's a good day. It's not a good day. And, what we try to do is engage people as much as we can in the virtual space. And sometimes, you know, if we're having a parent support group at the same time, we're having another group to engage the children because we'll have a single mom say, you know, I'd love to be part of the support group, but I can't have yeah. my child unattended for that hour because they might go turn on the stove or they might run out the door or, you know, there might be, you know, these concerns for safety. So we try to look at the whole family and how we're doing virtual engagement. And we'll continue looking at that in January. Um, also for children with autism and a lot of children in general, but especially a lot of the children we support, they thrive and they understand their world based on routine. Yeah. 
And that routine, you know, I had one mom call me in tears one night and she said, I don't know what to say to my daughter here. Like, you know, she's 21. I've been her mom for 21 years. I should know how to comfort her. And she's crying. She's crying because she knows on Thursday she gets to come do the project at the library. On Sundays, she knows she goes to church. You know, uh, that schedule reduces her anxiety and allows her to function in this world. And now all of those things, not just one, but all of them were canceled at the same time. And she, do- she doesn't know the word pandemic. You know, yeah. it means nothing to her. And I think that's the hard thing where some of us have been able to explain to our kids, well, we need to be patient. You know, it's, it's dangerous. This disease is out there and we're trying to get a vaccine. For some of the kids, we, they don't have, you know, maybe the cognitive processing to be able to understand that. Um, so I don't have any easy answers. I don't think any of us do, but we want to make sure that we can be there for families that want to talk, that want to come together with other family members that maybe have figured something out they can share with someone who's experiencing a similar thing. Mm-hmm. That's been the biggest thing for us is connecting parents to parents who live it and get it. Powerful. I, I get it. I, oftentimes I, I'll see my little guy, Ian, and something happens and he just starts laughing. There's a person in there. He cracks up. Or if he does something he knows he shouldn't be doing, he might rush to do it or slow down or see if you're looking at him. <laughs> there, there, there's somebody there. Bev, what's, what's your vision for your, your organization going forward? Or what do you see January and beyond? Have you guys talked about your vision or, or what you hope to see going forward? Yeah, we just had our end of year board meeting on Wednesday and pulled out that strategic plan. It's so interesting. We made our th- three-year strategic plan in February. <laughs> sitting at that, we look back and we're like sitting at that meeting. Like, how amazing is that? Like, we had no idea that in two weeks, these tactics that we listed out with who's doing what on what date, hmm, there are going to be some challenges <laughs> thrown into that. But going back over the strategic plan, we realized there's actually all relevant still. We really didn't have to tweak much because what we care about, our passion, our mission hasn't changed. It's how we do it that's changed. So some of those tactics are different. Um, Where I thought that, you know, we might be able to bring our in-person events back, you know, maybe March. I'm looking now probably June for that in person, um, depending on how the vaccines roll out. We do work in different counties. So depending on what county we're in, most of what we do is actually in Montgomery County, we'll listen to our commissioner um, and we follow very closely the county recommendations. So we're not having any live in-person events right now, obviously, Um, but we're continuing our virtual events. Um, We, you know, as, as a goal of our organization in year two, which is the year we just ended, I really wanted to have a staff person Um, we're very, we're lean. We are lean and mean, lean and mighty. Um, but because of COVID, we couldn't afford that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a great board, but it's just me and, um, I have some great interns. So we're looking to bring in more interns because we benefit from those students. We have graduate level students from Westchester who have been phenomenal for us and from our sinus as well. So we hope to be able to build our team to provide more capacity because, we have a waiting list for everything we do. And I never wanted that. <laughs> I kind of formed Integrate for Good to get rid of that. Well, I'm, I'm going to volunteer to be on that team as well. So know that that's going to happen. Beth, you know that I'm a speaker. Yes. And I love to speak and I love to hear others speak. This final, final uh, opportunity segment, we call it 
the mini keynote, M-I-N-I, the mini keynote. And we asked our guests to provide a 30 second, no more than 30 seconds, words of wisdom, advice to look right in that camera and that call to action, give us the keynote. Bev, it is your turn for the 30 second keynote. <laughs> Thank you. I would say, um, you know, when you see someone with a disability, we all see that disability. We see the wheelchair, right? We see that someone might be acting differently in the grocery store. Somebody looks like they might be having a hard time. I would say before we rush to judge, think about what that student, what that child, what that a young adult or adult, what that family member might be living with. We're asking people to be compassionate to themselves, compassionate to others during this time. Um, and also we realize that everyone needs a little break right now. And sometimes when you give to others, when you volunteer your time, that's a way to kind of not escape, but put reality over here for a little second and get involved in giving back. And I encourage everyone to find a way to give back during this holiday season and beyond, volunteer with us, visit integrateforgood.org and we'll release that calendar in January. We hope you'll join us for our virtual volunteering events. We'd love to meet you. Mic drop, Shannon, she dropped the mic. Shannon, another successful trip. We did it, another flight, another flight. Concluding thoughts, words? Just so thankful and you know what, Bev, I'm thankful all the way down to those braces on your legs for you walking out your faithfulness and your vision um, literally to making this world a better place. So thank you for opening my eyes, the viewers eyes and giving us perspective because right now we're in a diversity inclusion, just every, the world is our oyster and people are listening and watching and I'm excited for you, your organization and for those who are join us that are involved in making a difference. So thank you for that. And um, I know that great things are coming because the world is watching in this climate, in this season. So best of luck. And I'm Dr. James. Also, I'm going to go from intentions to action. And I appreciate it for, from, from you, Bev. Thank you so much for inspiring me today. Love it, love it. Oh, thank, thank you, you, Shannon. Thank you. And for those of you who tuned in, I told you, I told you another impactful, powerful show. Remember, Anais Nine said, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. So where is your focus these days? And where is your focus going to be in the future? Remember, be the change you wish to be. You've just been Jim Packett. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.